Welcome to Exhale Bible Discovery. Each week, we'll take a deep dive into the Bible, going line by line and chapter by chapter to discover the truths that God has for us in His Word. It's Dr. Paula McDonald, and we are in John, and today we are concluding this phenomenal book in the Bible with chapter 21. And you guys, God gave me such a download through this chapter that I pray that you will stay with this last chapter. Listen to the very end, because he dropped some bombshells and that I give all credit to him because there's no way that came out of Paula McDonald. So you guys, thank you for hanging with me through this beautiful study, and let's get started right now in chapter 21. We celebrated the fact that Jesus overcame death and rose from the tomb in our last chapter, and we will end our study of John with some really important lessons. The chapter records the final appearances and the final messages from our Lord and Savior. So first division are lessons from fishing, and these take us from verses 1 through 14. Well, last week, we just came from the fantastic visitations by Jesus. And as we begin this chapter 21, the story starts with Jesus appearing to some of the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, to fish. And those who were present were Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, and Zebedee, and two other disciples who are not named. So this group then consisted of seven disciples. Well, the Sea of Tiberias is also known as the Sea of Galilee, and it was the same area where Jesus fed the 5,000. So early in the morning, Jesus is now standing on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. And remember, Mary Magdalene also did not recognize Jesus at first either. And we surmise this could be due to the fact that a then resurrected Jesus would have looked different in his new resurrected form. In verse 3, it says they caught nothing. Jesus, knowing they have not found any fish, calls out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? And they answered, No. And Jesus instructs them to throw the net on the right side of the boat and that they would find some. Do you see the precise instructions from Jesus? When Jesus asks his followers to do something for him, He provides the education and does not leave us in the dark, you guys. And he also gives them guidelines for the tasks that he asks. And it's the same for you and I today. In Luke 5, 1 through 11, Jesus also helped the disciples bring up much fish. And he says to them in verse 10, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. And so now back to. John 21 lesson in verse 6, when they tried to haul in the fish, they were unable because of the large number of fish. 
Then in verse 7, John says to Peter, It is the Lord. And as soon as Peter hears this, he wraps his outer garment around him and jumps into the water. And the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the fish to the shore. And as they pull up to shore, they see a fire with fish being cooked. And Jesus says to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. And Peter gets out and drags the net full of fish ashore. And verse 11 says, specifically says, it was full of 153 large fish, yet the net was not torn. Well, this really stopped me in my tracks as I was studying. And I wanted to know, why is it here that there is a specific number of fish that are mentioned in this scripture verse? And as we know from our study of the scriptures, we understand that numbers are essential to God. Remember, there's an entire book of the Bible called Numbers, and we can see throughout the scriptures that our God is an amazing God and is very specific, he's very intentional, and he's very exact. And so I played around with these numbers, just wanting to know more. But if you look at the separate numbers, one, five, and three separately, let's look at each one of those biblically. Well, one is symbolic of God, unity, uniqueness, and a beginning. Five is a symbolic of grace and divine favor. And three is, we all know, a symbolic of completion, solid, real, substantial, and entire, and can represent the Trinity, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Therefore, when you look at math, and y'all, I'm not a mathematician by any means. I'm a scientist, but not a mathematician. So this deep dive into this number absolutely blows me away. So hang on to your hat. 153 is what is called a triangular number, and it's the triangle of 17. In fact, 153 is the 17th triangular number in the series of triangular numbers. So I'm going to explain this, so hang with me. And a triangular number is also the sum of all the natural numbers from one to the triangle of that number. So I'm going to break this down. I know it sounds crazy, but if you add up one plus two plus three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, it equals 153. In a book called Studies in Biblical and Semitic Symbolism, Maurice Harry Farbridge explains that St. Augustine, he was fascinated by the symbolic meaning hidden behind a number, and he devised a complicated mathematical expression to reveal the numerological significances. His formula went as follows. 10 is the symbol of the law, the 10 commandments. And the number seven is traditionally associated with the spirit. So 10 plus seven equals 17. Therefore, 17 represents holiness. Well, 153 is the sum of all the numbers in that progression. 
1 plus 2 plus 3 all the way to 17 equals 153. Y'all, that's pretty clever. Pythagoras calculated that 153 is the denominator of the closest known fraction to the square root of 3, and that this is also the ratio of a fish shape drawn between two overlapping circles centered on each other's circumference. If you do it, you draw a circle and you draw another circle on top of the other with that in that space. You're going to have to look this up if you can't visualize it. And you're going to see that fish outlined. And so that shape is known as the Vesica Pisces or the Mandalora. And the ratio was called by Pythagoras, the measure of the fish. If the two circles represent God and humanity, then the overlap represents Jesus, that fish, in God incarnate, along with his followers, whose sign becomes the sign of the fish. Wow. Okay, it gets even better, you guys. Even better. So if you take then that fish in the middle of those two adjoining rings, and you do width and height, and the square root of three, it's 265 over 153. The Bible gives us an approximate of pi. That value is three. Could John's specific use of 153 fish point to the pi equation and therefore to Archimedes' work on pi? Whew. Well, it gets better. Hang in there. Hang in there, y'all. I know this is mathematically crazy, but I, I just want you to hang with me. So let's look back to the triangular pyramids. And they've discovered that 153 foot long passageway within the pyramid that leads to what is called the king's chamber. That's interesting that this passageway to the king is 153 feet. Wow, you guys, I'm, I'm sorry, but that, that blows me away. So we know then the Trinity is made up of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Trinity equals perfection and equality. And the triangle of the Trinity is the passageway to our King in heaven. And so if you do this perfect pyramid, and you do 1 through 17 circles down one side, 1 through 17 circles to the right side, and then back up to the other 17, all said together, you're going to have 153 circles making up a pyramid, a trinity, perfect 153. And many believe pyramids exhibit energy and power. And an interesting study would be to go and read about sacred geometry. You guys, God is our perfect creator and he makes no mistakes. His creation is perfect. And so the more you dig into nature, the more you see his perfection in all of the universe. So if you look at the triangle and then in the very middle, there's a cross and you look at those numbers. So you start with one, then two, three, then four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. You're building this pyramid with these numbers. So if you take that cross and you add those numbers up, it equals 489. Then you get another horizontal, then you get the 
vertical, 489 and 369, you add these up, comes to 858. 8 plus 5 plus 8 equals 21. You divide 21 by 3, and it's 7. What's the significance of 7 in the Bible? So many things. Seven days of the week, seven statements by Jesus at the cross, seven petitions at the Lord's Prayer, seven I am statements by Jesus, seven healings on the seventh day. The rainbow has seven colors, which the New Age people have tried to steal. And the revelation has the seven churches, seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls. All of this continues to point to a perfect creator whose creation is organized, not random, has meaning and purpose. All of creation points to an intelligent designer, God. And then, y'all, I'm sorry, but I'm thank you for hanging with me, but that stuff blew me away. And you may need to re listen to this and take notes because I think when you really comprehend what this means, you'll start reading the scriptures very differently and looking at every little nuance because it has meaning. Then in verse 12, Jesus invites the disciples to come and have breakfast. He takes the fish and the bread and gives it to them. And this was the third time he had met with them after the tomb. But how interesting When Jesus called many of his disciples, they were fishing. And now on his final visit to him, again, they are fishing. Fishing is symbolic of these men being called to fish for men. They were now to bring others into the net of his church. And the fish also represents the sustenance that we receive from Christ. He alone can fill our nets with his immense love. As we fish for men, he will provide more than we can imagine. But we've got to keep our eyes on him. So I found this to be such a beautiful part of this lesson and something I've never been taught before in church. And so I know it was a download given directly to me from Almighty God, and I'm so thankful for it. So now the second part of chapter 21 are lessons about forgiveness. This is how John ends his chapter. And so we're going to take a look at into the Lord's interaction with Peter personally. So we're going to look, It's we've now got this thing going on between Jesus and Peter and reviewing back on what we've learned about Peter. We know he denied Christ three times before the cross. And now here is Jesus calling out Peter with three Very specific questions. First question, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter's response is, yes, Lord, he says, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. Then the second question, Jesus says, is Simon, son of John, do you love me? And his response is, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus' directive, take care of my sheep. And then the third is, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And his response is, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus' directive is to feed my sheep. Do you see the progression here? In the first directive, Jesus tells Peter to feed his lambs. Lambs reference the young or new believers. 
So Jesus is telling Peter and to us that we are to feed and nourish new believers in Christ. They will need us to show them the way to Christ. Then next, he tells them to take care of his sheep. He moves from sheep, which are the mature form of lambs, and he's telling them to now take care of the mature believers. And care points to a continuous direction of instruction and growth. None of us stop at growing in Christ and our knowledge of him. And as parents, as we continue to care for our children, helping to direct them in how and what they learn while providing life lessons along the way, we are to do the same for all believers. And then finally, he instructs us to feed his sheep. And once again, Jesus is directing his disciples, his church, which is you and me, to continue to feed or sustain the body of Christ. And just as we are to feed on his word daily, we must feed fellow believers with teaching, prayers, acts of kindness, love, compassion, and all that we can do to help further the kingdom. So many scholars believe that this threefold questioning by Christ was used to remove the threefold denial by Peter. And it's also interesting to note that Jesus addresses Peter at the beginning of the question as Simon. Well, Simon was the name he was called when Jesus first called him into ministry. And it was Jesus who changed his name to Peter, meaning rock. And we find this in Matthew 16, 17. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Well, the significance here, y'all, is profound. Jesus is giving Peter now a threefold mission and message. One, find and feed new believers. Two, care for them. And then three, teach and mature the flock. He's now setting Peter apart from the others with this specific mission. Peter is being elevated in his leadership and responsibility. And this must have been to Peter a moment, a huge moment, as he's being restored fully into Christ's mission. Jesus lovingly knows how much Peter had suffered internally after he denied Christ. And his love for Peter should encourage all of us that when we fail him, he can and will still use us for his kingdom. And this final message from Jesus to Peter concludes with, Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. And we know from historical accounts that Peter was indeed martyred by crucifixion upside down because he did not feel worthy of being killed in the same fashion as Jesus. And this happened around A.D. 64. The book of Acts is a great place to read more about Peter's building of the church and why he is considered to be a significant leader of Christianity. 
Let's look at Jesus and John. In verse 20, Peter turns and sees John, who was following. As Peter sees John, he asks Jesus, Lord, what about him? And Jesus' response is, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Right after Jesus restores Peter's leadership, our impulsive Peter begins being concerned about what someone else must do. Pure Peter fashion. It's almost as if you can hear him saying to the Lord, Okay, well, what about all of them? And Jesus shuts it down by asking him to focus on what he is supposed to do. He is telling Peter to maintain the course, and others will continue their course. And so Jesus is basically saying, Peter, you need to stay in your own lane. And that's such a true essential lesson for us all. He alone gives each of us as followers specific tasks and jobs. We cannot look at others and wish we had what they have in a ministry or anything else or a gift. We cannot be envious of tasks that someone else may have that we desire. The lesson here is to seek what God has specifically done for each of us and has for each of us. It may be to lead or to support a leader. You may be teaching or asked to serve or assist. All are important to the whole body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. All jobs for the kingdom are essential. We cannot do what we do for Christ alone. We need the support of other believers. And also, timing is important. Whatever season you are currently in, God has worked for you in that particular season. If you have big dreams for the kingdom and are frustrated that you are not fulfilling those dreams, perhaps it isn't your time for those tasks right now. Go to him. Lay down your plan at his feet, and he will lead and show you the correct timing. When God told me very personally, after a near-death experience in 1999, when I was 39 years old, it wasn't until approximately 11 years later that God began showing me the plan he had for me. However, this plan was rolled out step by step with no revelation of where I would end up. He has only given me the steps of which I have been following in obedience. Now that I'm in my 60s, I'm able to see how these steps have built a firm pathway in my life. I wouldn't have been ready at 39 to do what I'm doing now. I wouldn't have had the resources. I had to trust the words he gave me and allow him to guide me down the pathway. Each of us has our own pathway and directives from Jesus. We must trust his timing and not on our own. We can't run ahead of God either. When we push forward with our own agenda, most likely we're going to end up on the wrong pathway and become lost, get out of steam, and going in the wrong direction. Trust in him and allow Jesus to be your guide. So just as Jesus rebuked Peter to basically mind his own business, he's telling us the same thing. Keep our eyes on him. And remember, when Peter got out of the boat and he kept his eyes on Jesus, he did not sink. That the moment he took his eyes off Jesus, 
down he went. Do not covet what others are doing for the Lord. He will show you what he has for you in his timing, and it most likely will look nothing like what you thought. More often than not, God's plan will look very differently from what you are thinking. Be content where you are in this season of life. However, God doesn't ask us to do easy things, and he doesn't expect us to simply sit around waiting for a directive. There is much work in the kingdom, and we are to be busy for him and not idle. Your work for the kingdom at this season of life may be to raise children to know God. And maybe he is asking you to be a prayer warrior for those who are on the front line. Perhaps he's calling you to get out of your comfort zone and volunteer at church, your neighborhood, or community. Remember some of Jesus' final words were to follow him. Following means to be behind another. Jesus does not need us to be out in front without him as the lead. So your conclusion for this amazing book, the end of this John chapter concludes, he is testifying to the words that he was directed to write. John did not write the words in this book on his own, but rather under the authority of Christ. And next, he goes on to say that there's no way he could have written every single word of every single thing that happened. Think of it this way. If your own life was written down from the moment you took your first breath to the current time, imagine the amount of information that would be included. That's mind-blowing. So John, as well as the other three Gospels, record the highlights of Jesus' death and resurrection. And perhaps when we get to heaven, we will be privy to the rest of the story. What a glorious time that will be. And as we complete this remarkable chapter, I pray your heart and mind have been transformed like we've heard in Romans 12, 12. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I hope you are able to seek God with a renewed zeal and quest for knowledge and that you desire to capture the truths in the Bible that he has for you. His believers You guys, as we have combed through John, he has shown us as believers so much more than just these words. And may you continue to dig in and feed on his word. And I'll leave you with these final six challenged questions from the book of John. One, in what ways has this study changed the way you study God's word? Two, What is God impressing upon you to do going forward after this study? Three, from the lessons you have learned from John, what can you do with these truths to bless those in your life and how will you do that? Four, what do you need to do to stay in your lane for Christ and seek the work he has specifically for you? Number five, how is your life different? after this study? And six, who in your life needs to know the lessons you have learned? Will you feed and care for his sheep? Well, John has been an amazing chapter to study. There are other Exhale Bible discoveries to listen to. I've done the book of Romans, Ephesians, Galatians, 
1st and 2nd Corinthians, and the book of Revelation. I am currently working on getting all of those recorded, so keep staying with Exhale Bible Discovery. Like and share, subscribe to the channel, and just help me get this word out for the kingdom of God. Thank you all for studying with me. I am honored and so humbled to share the word of God with you. So until the next study, I'll see you then. Be sure to visit my website, drpaulamcdonald.com. Click on podcast and then exhale Bible discovery for self-study guides and resources to support you with each episode.